0: Welcome to Women's Sports Central. I'm Brenda Van Lingen, along with Michelle Vopel. And, uh, you know, we're really confused right now because it seems like February in Kansas City. Uh, It's May 3rd, and we've had some snow. So we're just trying to figure out what season it is, what sports are going on. I mean, how about this weather? This is just crazy.
1: Okay. um, Brenda, there's this famous twilight zone starring Lois Nettleton, uh, where she's it, she's burning up. It's so hot, and it's like uh, Earth is like it's a it's a catastrophe that's that's happening, and the whole world is is uh, essentially burning up because the Earth is getting closer to the sun, or so something that probably in real science can't happen, but it could happen <laughs> on the Twilight Zone, right? <laughs> right, so, right. The the whole episode it's how she's struggling and everybody around her with the fact that it's never less than like a hundred degrees. I mean, maybe even hotter than that. And so everybody's just burning up. And then the twist at the end of the episode is she wakes up and it's like dark and cold. And she said, oh, I just, you know, had the the most wonderful dream that it was warm. And the twist is that in real life, it's it's the earth is moving away from the sun. So it's getting really, really, really cold and everybody's going to freeze to death, right? <laughs> Okay. So I thought about that yesterday because I <laughs> thought, you know, um what if it just never got warm? Uh, you know, what if that it what if it just happened that it stayed cold like like yesterday was a little I mean it was a little hard psychologically, wasn't it, Brenda? Because yes. it was it was really like a January or February day. It was yes. cold, it was rainy, the wind was blowing, it was bleak. I mean, it it wasn't just like sort of an odd spring day. It was a it was a morbid <laughs> spring day. So I thought about that Twilight Zone episode because it's like, what if, you know, it just got cold and snowy and it just didn't get warm, <laughs> and you'd start having dreams about it being super hot, right? Yes. Balance it out. So anyway, uh, I don't Twilight think that's gonna Zone, happen. <laughs> right hopefully but yeah the weather has been weird because i don't i've lived in the midwest all all, most of my life with a few exceptions i honestly do not remember may snow before you might in nebraska you guys might have had it
0: we had uh when i was finishing up college we had some snow uh into april a couple of huge snowstorms during softball season but uh never in may that i remember and so and you know they were forecasting it but And I know a lot of you listening probably are in the path of this storm. But, yeah, we had 80-degree temperatures on Monday and Tuesday and a little bit into Wednesday. And then it just – the temperatures start dropping and huge snowflakes start falling on Thursday. And it was just ridiculous. So, yeah, I am – I was tired of uh, cold weather and winter in February. So I am super tired of it right now. (laughs) But
1: I tell you what, Brenda, I know somebody – who is not going to have to worry about snow where she lives right now unless we really are headed towards some kind of Twilight Zone thing. Yes. And that's Cynthia Cooper Dyke taking over at USC. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to have snow in L.A.
0: Not in Southern California. Not
1: not on that campus. Yes. I don't think. Probably not. What do you think?
0: Probably not. And you had a chance to talk to her as uh, the alum is coming back to lead the Trojans. Uh, I think uh, with... The path that uh, Cynthia Cooper has taken in coaching, it's uh, pretty intriguing that now she is back at her alma mater, and uh, I'm interested to hear what you uh, you talk to her about. I know you've got a story up. People can uh, check it out on ESPNW, uh, both with Cynthia Cooper, and we'll talk about Kevin McGuff uh, at Ohio State, too, but uh, what was your conversation like?
1: I've I've thought for a long time, and I think you and I may have probably talked about this that those two jobs in particular, the USC and UCLA jobs in women's basketball, that it's best to have somebody who is either a native or has lived there a long, long time enough that they're like a native, mm-hmm. because it's not for everybody, you know, to live in the hustle and bustle of LA to be able to um, to recruit well with the fact that you're recruiting against so many other sports with the kids there in a way that you, you're not as much in in other parts of the country, you know, in LA you might have, you know, great basketball kids who want to do volleyball or want to do softball or soccer or water polo or something. And so you, you do have, I think some different recruiting challenges and, and Coop is from there. You know, she, she grew up there and she went to school there. So she has that, passion for her alma mater Mm -hmm. it's a really different basketball world than you know than when she was there in the 80s but uh you know I think she has proven over her eight years of coaching that she's a really legitimate coach and I say that because some people you know great players may get into coaching they may dabble in it Mm -hmm. and it doesn't Really pan out, and I hate to say it, but I I kind of think of Teresa Edwards like that. She's dabbled in it, but I don't know that she's ever really enjoyed coaching. You know, she's coached at at different levels and at different times. I don't know that it's ever really been what she wanted to do. I think Cynthia Cooper really loves it, and I think she's proven that she has the I mean, she has the capacity to be a really good coach. The question now is, can she do it at a higher level than a smaller, you know, a smaller conference school or a mid-major school? Can she do it at a big conference school and then do it at a high level at a big conference school?
0: Yeah, and that's the question. And, uh, you know, can can she bring Glory back to USC? Uh, and, you know, when you think about her path and, and uh, being a part of those national championship teams in the 80s that, Uh, Maybe nobody even really knew about her contributions on the team because it was so much about uh, Cheryl Miller and the McGee twins at that time. And then she was in... Uh, you know, obscurity as far as the women's basketball scene in the United States for so many years as she played overseas in Italy and other places, but then came back and had her moment, had her time as the WNBA got started and leading the Houston Comets to so many championships. And then, and then parlaying that into the coaching career that you're talking about. It's just, you know, she has been, she has, uh, you know, put in the miles and paid her dues in so many ways. Uh, it will be interesting to see how um, you know how she leads that program that once had such high levels of success and uh, and there 's also going to be a big magnifying glass on Ohio State uh, as Jim Foster steps aside and such high expectations for that program over the years and Kevin McGuff comes back from the Pacific Northwest to, you know, a state where he has a lot of experience. He had a lot of experience at Xavier. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a, a big um, uh, microscope uh, and continue to be on Ohio State. and You had a chance to talk to him.
1: You put it exactly right, which is the expectations are sky high here. And, and they've set that up because they didn't, relieved Jim Foster of his duties because he didn't win enough Big Ten games. He won plenty of Big Ten games. He won several regular season championships. He won Big Ten tournaments. His winning percentage overall is not the kind of winning percentage that usually is going to get you let go in women's basketball. So Ohio State clearly said this isn't about being a good team because we've had a good team. This is about getting to the final four and contending for national championships. And it's interesting because you don't necessarily always see that put out in women's basketball. As this is our expectation, it's not going to be enough just to win the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. That's not enough because <laughs> Jim Foster did that. You've got to contend to win it all. You've got to get um, you've got to get into a Final Four. And i and I would say you know Kevin was very very forthright about knowing that was his measuring stick. Not everybody'd be comfortable with that, but he is because he sees Ohio State as absolutely the pinnacle job for him. He's, you know, he's born and raised in Ohio, as you said. Um, became a head coach at Xavier after his uh, years at Notre Dame. Went to Washington, and I, and I thought was was pretty successful, you know, in two years, and and was building something there. Now, Brenda, he signed a long term contract. Those don't mean anything anymore. <laughs> In yeah. men's and women's basketball, and and it sort of it makes me sort of disappointed, but it's just the way of the world now. I mean, he, he signed the contract for his own security, but then Ohio State, you know, became a a possibility, and so he's got a buyout which he's paying himself, but it's going to be financially, um, you know, feasible for him to do that. In Kevin's case, sometimes I can be pretty contemptuous of people who, like, you know, sign a long-term deal and jump somewhere else. In his case, I can honestly say I believe that this was something he couldn't pass up because of the job it is. We all know Ohio State should be one of the very best jobs in women's basketball, not just in the Big Ten, but in the whole country, and I think he sees – that potential. He's got six kids. He and his wife, his family is, and her and his wife's family are mostly in Cincinnati. I really believe mm-hmm. I can. You know, I'm not going to be too harsh on him about breaking that long-term deal because of the job that he came back to.
0: Right. I. It, I mean, it's. And knowing his background and everything you just talked about, uh, this was the job for him. And it's going to be mm-hmm. interesting because the Big Ten is getting better. We talked about that on this show. Uh, all, the, all the teams within the conference are getting better. And then adding uh, Maryland and Rutgers to the, uh, the mix, it, you know, it's going to be really interesting what happens in the Big Ten over the, the next couple of years for sure.
1: Yeah, and then you look at um, from a non-conference standpoint, Brenda. That just that region it, is exciting to me because mm-hmm. if you look at Jeff Walls and everything he's done uh, at Louisville, Matt Mitchell, what he continues to do at Kentucky, mm-hmm. and and now Kevin coming to Ohio State, that that whole region of the country in terms of what I'd love to see is sort of some non-conference rivalries that build up too, if if that's a possibility. I just think that's great for women's basketball. If you have, um, you know, Ohio and Kentucky, Indiana. I mean, there's a ton of basketball fans there, and I and I think the potential for growth um, in in attendance. We've already seen um, we've already seen that happen at Louisville and Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with some of the sellouts that they've had uh, when they play each other, you know, I'm not going to try to say it's like when Louisville and Kentucky's men play, but you know what? It It's big mm-hmm. and it's just going to keep getting bigger. And I see, you know, uh, I, I just see that all as a real positive because, you know, in the case of Jeff Walls and Matt Mitchell, they really connect with their fan bases. You know, they, they, I mean, it's a, it's a real organic connection, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, the the fans really like these guys. And, and I think that that reflects on what the program feels like. And I think Kevin McGuff can do the same thing at Ohio state. I think he knows that he needs to, you know, he needs to have that really strong connection to the fan base. You, you and I know how, how big that fan base for Ohio state can be. Absolutely. If that team is like a national contender, I mean, they're, they're going to be a real force to be reckoned with, um, if he can elevate the program to that level. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, yes. And uh, it absolutely will be, and a lot of people will be watching. Let's just talk about some of the other coaching changes uh, overall. Um, uh, A shout-out to uh, Cindy Stein, who was a broadcast partner of mine for a couple of years. When she uh, left the University of Missouri, she uh, coached at her – uh, junior college this past year, Illinois Central, and had a lot of success, and now she's at Southern Illinois, so she's back uh, at the Division I level. And Barb Smith, a good friend of mine uh, who I've known since she was an assistant coach for Sealberry at Colorado and I was an assistant at Nebraska back in the day, uh, has had a lot of important assistant roles, had a head coaching position for a while, uh, was out for a year, and when she was out for that year, went around to all of the head coaches that would allow her to come and observe their practice and and uh, just became a better student of the game, expanding all of her knowledge. And she's worked very hard to get back to that head coaching position. She'll be at Illinois State this next year. So a couple of friends of mine that I wanted to give a shout-out to and then uh, and then uh, we were talking about just, uh, you know, former uh, big name, uh, successful college players uh, landing in new roles. Susie McConnell-Serio will be at uh, Pittsburgh. Um, Kelly Harper, uh, now no longer at North Carolina State, will be at uh, Missouri State, and she's hired. Uh, the legend, Jackie Stiles, to come back and be a part of that coaching staff, which is uh, a great hire and going to be intriguing as Missouri State tries to get back on its feet. Uh, Cheryl Swoops is taking her first uh, head coaching position at Loyola, Illinois, and her teammate, uh, Krista kirkland gerlick who has gone up the ranks in coaching and has recently been at a Division II school is going to be at UT Arlington, and then Audra Smith will be uh, at Clemson. So just a, a few of the changes, um, anything that stands out to you or any others that I've missed that you want to talk about?
1: I, I'm really interested in how the, the, the Missouri Valley is developing with some of the, the young coaches um Jenny Branchak, uh, who who we knew when she was just starting out as a a, a coach at Case State, and has sort of she's come come up the ranks. She's just finished her first season at Drake. Um, you mentioned Cindy Stein is not a a new coach, by any means. She's spent a lot of years in it, but she's in a new role mm-hmm. um, at uh, you know at Southern Illinois and. And then Kelly Harper um, at Missouri State. It'd just be interesting to see how how some of these new faces or relatively new faces continue to affect um, the Missouri Valley Conference. And interesting uh, in, interesting in terms of Cheryl Swoops, Brenda. I asked Cynthia Cooper because obviously she and, and Swoops were, were teammates um, at, with those great uh, Comets championship teams. I asked her if she had any advice for for Swoops, and she you know, didn't answer jokingly. She said very seriously, she said, I would advise her to be patient because she said that was one of the hardest things I had to learn is to be patient um, with teaching, you know, with how things develop. And she said, I'd also advise her to be sure she has people who really know the NCAA rulebook, Mm. because that's, because Coop got in some trouble with that at mm-hmm. Prairie View, and and it was later, you know, she was absolved of having intentionally done anything wrong. But she fully admits I broke rules because I wasn't as familiar with things as I needed to be, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I and I and she meant that seriously, not in a not in a shot across the bow way. She meant that in a helpful, serious way. To Cheryl, you, you do have to be careful because there's a lot of things that can trip you up. Yeah.
0: Well, it will be interesting to see how some of these former uh, stars in the game uh, fare at their at their new in their new positions. And um, another thing I wanted to touch uh, quickly on is uh, an announcement came out at the University of Tennessee that uh, Pat Summitt will continue in her role. She's agreed to a one year extension uh, on her. Head coach emeritus role uh, to me that seems like that should be a a lifetime contract. Uh, I, it, it just struck me strange that it's a one year extension. Uh, but I know that you've you have you know been observing all these things that are happening at Tennessee, and it could be a long conversation. But in a in a nutshell, you're you're not really surprised by this.
1: I so I do feel like. There's been, an, there's been no question an erosion of the singular identity of Tennessee women's athletics. And to some degree, we knew that was going to happen with the merger of the departments. But I, I feel like it's an ongoing thing. And Tennessee fans are in a tough position because they want to be very, very supportive, obviously, of their teams. But a lot of them, their radar is up about things that have happened. So part of them doesn't really want to talk about these things because they don't want to bring negative publicity to their university. They certainly don't, you know, they're, they're all about, you know, we want the university to look good for recruits. But part of them also knows that I think some really good, competent people have been cast aside. And I think some people have been forced to choose their own paychecks and their own concerns over loyalty to friends and colleagues. I, I and we all have been in situations where we've seen that happen. It's a it's a kind of a really sad thing that happens when there's downsizing. Um, so is Tennessee women's athletics uh, taking a nosedive? I don't think that, but I think. Again, the erosion of the identity of Tennessee women's athletics as a standard bearer in all senses—you know, not just how the student athletes are treated, but you know how the people that work there are treated—in its identity, that's that erosion has been taking place for at least a solid year now, and I don't know that it's going to to stop. I think it will probably continue somewhat.
0: You know, I've talked about that on this show, and like you said, it's it's not necessarily indicated in the success of the programs, because as I make a quick shift here, uh, to give a quick report on softball, Tennessee is at the top of the SEC in softball. They've got a great volleyball program, a lot of success continuing on in women's sports. But like you said, there are some changes there and, and people are con- going to continue to want to watch what's happening there as far as the, the treatment, the value placed on the people, uh, that are, um, involved in women's sports there at tennessee and as I mentioned, uh, you know, Tennessee being at the top of the SEC in softball, uh, those of you that are softball fans, or if you're not, it's that time of year when you might be interested because there's a lot of game, good games going to be happening. And I think ESPN does a great job of of covering that. Tennessee will be traveling to Missouri this weekend, uh, Saturday night on ESPN primetime at 730 Eastern time. Uh, so if you get a chance, that's going to have uh, some implications on the SEC race. Boy, the um, SEC has been strong and getting stronger over the past few years in softball, but to add Missouri and add Texas A&M, um, you know, it's it's possible in listening to uh, Beth Moens and uh, Michelle Smith on last night's softball broadcast talking about the possibility of up to 11 SEC teams possibly making the NCAA tournament, and only 10 make it to the SEC tournament. That's how good <laughs> and how deep the SEC is in softball this year. So uh, you know, people, uh, as you uh, have your your finger on the pulse here, the May 12th coming up soon is the selection show. The regionals will be May 17th through 19th to super regionals. Uh, May 23rd and 26th and of course they all go to Oklahoma City for the College World Series and right now the number one team in the nation is Oklahoma behind uh, Kailani Ricketts who's the most successful pitcher in Oklahoma history and of course they lost to Alabama in the World Series cha- Championship game last year controversial uh, third game of the series and uh, they're they've got to be a favorite this year, but there are a lot of good teams and uh, a lot of fun action um, going on in softball this time of year. And it's also yeah, absolutely yeah, it's also a time, Michelle, where the LPGA is cranking up. And uh, just a a quick overview from you as far as what people should be watching with the LPGA.
1: Yeah, this week the tour is at uh, Kingsmill, the Kingsmill Championship, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, interestingly enough, last year the Kingsmill Championship was the longest two player playoff in the history of the LPGA, which was um G. I Shin from South Korea who ended up winning it and Paula Kramer, the the American player. They went nine holes it and it was crazy because they went eight holes on Sunday and then finally, you know, it was like they had to come back for you know for um one more hole on Monday. It turned out it was over pretty quickly on Monday morning. But Right now, the number one player in the world is Indy Park from South Korea. She's won three times this year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how you, you know how that number one ranking goes because um, Stacey Lewis, the American uh, who played at the University of Arkansas, she had it for a little while, so will she be able to, to surge back and maybe grab a hold of that? It's an interesting year for the LPGA also because uh, for the very first time ever, there's going to be a tournament in mainland China. Uh, the, the first woman from mainland China, actually the first person from mainland China to win a major golf tournament, Shoshan sang last year, won the LPGA championship. So she's going to be coming up pretty soon, defending that championship. And then the other, you know, big thing that's going to be going on with the LPGA this year is the Solheim cup, which will be in Denver in August. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, one more thing I probably should mention, Ten-year anniversary. Ten-year anniversary of Annika Sornstein playing at the Colonial, which I was lucky enough to cover, which was a, a pretty, a fascinating sociological thing in a lot of ways. When when Annika teed up on the PGA Tour, and we'll have a lot of sort of remembrance coverage of that, and catching up with Annika now. I'm going to be talking to her next week, and on on uh, ESPN.com and ESPNW closer to the end of this month, the actual anniversary of when she played was May 22nd. We're going to have a lot of pieces looking back on that, what it meant for Annika, what it meant for uh, women's athletics. Um, So that's kind of, that'll catch up on golf. And I always want to remind people, Brenda, in terms of softball, please check out my colleague Graham Hayes. Nobody Mm -hmm. loves softball more than he does. He's got just so many tremendous pieces um, uh, human interest pieces and breaking down players and stuff i mean a guy lives and breathes softball at mm-hmm. this time of the year so if you if you don't read him already and you like softball at all please uh, check out graham on espn.com and espnw
0: well and it's that time where uh they you know there's such good coverage of uh, softball that pretty much any night mm-hmm. you can tune in and, and see a game and uh, especially over the weekends and as we get closer to uh, uh, Memorial Day and and all the weekends when everybody wants to get outside and enjoy the weather. Hopefully, uh, there there's usually a, a lot of really good softball coming up in the next couple weekends. So just stay tuned to that and um, yeah, you know, the WNBA season preseason games start already this next week, Thursday, May 9th, when the. Uh, The regular season uh, will start then uh, the Friday before Memorial Day, Friday, May 24th, things get kicked off. So we'll be talking a lot more about that this summer as we get ready for the WNBA. You can go to hoopfeed.com or to wnba.com because a lot of the WNBA stars are over in Europe right now and have been uh, wrapping up championships. You can see which... Which it's always interesting to me, which WNBA players played with each other and against one another uh, in the championships in the various countries that they are playing in overseas. And um, you can uh, check out all that information online and uh, uh, catch up with your favorite stars before they come back over and start playing in the WNBA. Let's wrap it up for today. Uh, Michelle, any parting shots before we go?
1: A lot of people have been asking about the San Diego State situation with coach Beth Burns signing a new contract and then quickly, you know, not very long after that, um, resigning. There are rumors going around. I I can't talk about the rumors because I don't have them confirmed. All I will say is this. I think when you're a university that has a situation like this and you Basically, nobody wants to talk about anything. You really open yourself up. Um, I, I think there's a punitive cost to being secretive, which is that everybody's like, "Hey, what's going on there? You know, can we trust these people? What? You know, how did this? How did this happen? I mean, it's, it, it doesn't add up. Let's put it that way. And and I understand there's always going to be privacy issues and coaches looking to protect themselves and universities looking to protect themselves. But for the rest of us who like you know who who sort of want to trust that universities and coaches are you know are, are going to be honest and straightforward about things that go on there. I think San Diego State right now is has opened itself up to. Like, do, do you trust the people that are there based on what's happened and 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 this trying to keep it completely secret? Um, I, I do, Like I said, I think there's a punitive cost. For, for trying to maintain secrecy about situations like this, because people are curious. It mm-hmm. doesn't add up, and it's not like we're all going to just say, oh, okay, well, that totally doesn't make sense, but okay. They said, you know, <laughs> she retired, so I won't think about it anymore. I mean, it's, we don't live in that world anymore, especially mm-hmm. if you want a sport. Um, you know, sport gets positive coverage. When things like this happen, it's going to get coverage for that too. Yep,
0: exactly. Uh, that's a part of growth, and yeah. uh, people want to know. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, all of you listening in to Women's Sports Central. That's a, another edition. We're wrapping up today, and we'll be back uh, later this month as the WNBA gets uh, gets ready to start and talk about uh, uh, softball and the LPGA and other women's sports coming up. So on behalf of Michelle vocal. I'm Brenda Van Langen. Enjoy the spring weather, everyone. <laughs>